It's a real treat to be here. And the beautiful thing about God's kingdom is that no matter where you are, you're at home. And uh, you get in a plane and you fly from Kiev 24 hours and you land in Los Angeles and you're home. And it, it especially feels like home when you get to be with the Fuquays and the Neelands and the McCurries. I see Tom there. And, uh, you know, God has richly blessed me and Lena's life with these relationships. Uh, 16 years ago, we were asked to start Hope Worldwide in the former Soviet Union. And uh, it was such an incredible blessing to get, work, to get to work with Marty and Chris and uh, just to see their hearts. And the example Marty just showed, that's just their hearts to make as much impact as they possibly can. And uh, uh, we learned so much from them, and they've taken such good care of me and Lynn over the years. And I remember the first time I heard Marty preach was 20 years ago. Um, I went to Dallas, Texas for the, for the Great South Seminar, and Marty got up on stage and said that they had planted Moscow and they want to plant three more churches, and then prant, uh, preached a very zealous sermon. And I thought, if God could ever let me go, I would leave anything and give up anything to have a life of impact like he just displayed from this stage. And uh, 20 years later, um, I'm still here, praise God. <laughs> That's, that's more grace than anything else, probably. Uh, but also very thankful for the Neelands and the impact they've had in uh, Scandinavia and the, the Nordics and the Baltics. And we bump into each other every once in a while on that side as well. And uh, you, I know you know the 20-year the anniversary of the Moscow Church was just a couple weeks ago. And that that church is still strong and standing is, is uh, an incredible blessing that God's brought about through many of your guys' sacrifice over the years. Uh, because for the last 20 years, you've sacrificed financially in your prayers um, and uh, allowed your leadership to go over to strengthen all of us uh, because we're very young in our faith and, and need a lot of the support that they were able to, uh, to give to us. So give yourselves a round of applause for having a, a world impact. Amen. Okay, let's open our Bibles. Um, my wife was the 104th baptism of the Moscow Church of Christ, uh, which is very encouraging. And uh, my wife, of course, is all of us, we always pray that our family becomes Christians. And then uh, a few years after uh, Lena became a Christian, uh, her grandma became a Christian. After basically, she was 70, I think 78 years old when she became a Christian, lived under communism for 60-some years, studied the Bible and became our sister. Amen. And then a few years after that, Lena's mother became a Christian. And then just a year and a half ago, two years ago, Lena's sister became a Christian. And she's here right now. Olya, if she could stand up, please. She's from the Moscow Church. And Olya has an awesome husband, Andre, and they have an incredible son, Zhenya. And Zhenya's here. He's a part of the teen group there in Moscow. If he could stand up, please. And uh, thanks to the example of many of you and great discipling, uh, God has blessed our family that our son, Andrew, who's 14, became a Christian a year and a half ago. And uh, he's here today with us as well. Andrew could stand up. Amen. Let's open up to Isaiah. The name of the lesson today is, Will You Marry Me? You don't have to answer right away, amen. <laughs> Actually, I'm married, but... You know, there's something about weddings. I love, who likes to go to weddings? I love weddings. I don't know what is it about weddings, but you just start to cry sometimes at weddings. You may not even know who's getting married and you just start to tear up and you don't know what to do about that. 
And you know, when you're in love with someone, you want to know how they feel about you, right? I mean, I remember when I would write love letters, or I would write letters to Lena. I tried to make them love letters, you know, my best attempt. And, and then when she'd write me back, you know, when you get a letter from someone you really care about, you don't start at the top, you go to the bottom. You see how she signed it, right? If it's like, if it's your sister in Christ, you're like, oh, bummer. <laughs> What's this your sister in Christ stuff? Where, where's the I love you? Lena. You know, and I remember the first date I went on with Lena, and I didn't speak very good Russian. I, some people would say I still don't speak very good Russian, but back then I really couldn't speak Russian, and she didn't speak much English. And, and I wanted to ask her on our, on our date. I was in the St. Petersburg Church, and she was in Moscow, and I was going to come down and go on a date with her. And, you know, when you like someone, you're kind of messed up, and you don't know what to say, and you start to repeat the same thing, and you feel really weird. So what I did is I made a list of like eight things I could talk to her about so that I'd look really cool when I called her, right? So I call her, I go through all the eight things, and I invite her. She, she agrees to go on a date with me, amen? So then I, I show up in Moscow, and I'm standing by the metro station waiting for Lynn, and I thought, I should buy her a flower so that, you know, she'll know I think she's really special. And so I go and buy a flower, and I'm standing there, I thought, you know, what if she thinks this is too much, and she thinks you're already in love with her, and she starts to freak out? And I'm like, that's probably not a good idea, so I threw it away. And then I stood there for a minute, I thought, you're so prideful. If you like her, just give her a flower. So I went back to the trash and got the flower out. You know, when you're in love, you just kind of, you stumble over yourself. You don't quite know how to lead yourself. Look at Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62. Verse 5. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Now the Bible teaches here that that, that scenario I just described about how I felt about Lena, that's how God feels about you. He looks at you the way a bridegroom looks at his bride. A little bit stumbling over his words. I mean, I remember, I remember waiting for Lena the day of our wedding. We were in Kiev. We got married in Kiev, and the church was actually being persecuted, and we were underground. We couldn't have the church uh, ceremony in a hall. We had to do it in a cafe. So we met in the cafe, and I remember Lena, I was real nervous, and you know, you start sweating, and you, you find out you can sweat in places you had no idea that there were sweat glands. And, and you're waiting, and then Lena comes out, and I just immediately relaxed. Because as soon as I see my beautiful bride, you just relax. And then she walked up, and then, you know, we stood there, and then Andy led the, Andy led the, the sermon, and I don't remember a word he said. I'm sure it was awesome because Andy always says awesome things, but, but I wasn't actually tuned into what he was. I was just thinking, I got my bride, I got my bride, I got my... And, you know, praise God for discipleship in the Word of God because me and Lena built an absolutely pure relationship. Our first kiss was our wedding. And so I was standing there next to her thinking, I'm going to kiss her, I'm going to kiss her, I'm going to kiss her, I'm going to kiss her. <laughs> God remembers everything about you. He remembers the day you were born. He remembers the first time you ever prayed. He remembers that first day when you opened up the Bible and read that first verse. He remembers that day when you first walked in and you sang that first song. 
He remembers that first hug he gave you from that, through that person standing right next to you. He remembers those moments. Like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, that's how God feels about you. Amen, church? We are the bride of Christ. Revelation talks about the church is the bride of Christ. Amen? What I want to do is spend a couple moments to talk about what a wedding would have looked like back in Jesus' day. And I realize not every wedding was like this, but, but this is in general what weddings would have looked like. Now, if I wanted to marry Lena, what I would do is I'd get my three best friends that would go and talk to Lena's dad and say that, you know, Sean wants to marry your daughter. Now, it would not be my dad that talks to her dad because the family rejection would be too much. So I have to send my groomsmen. I send my three best friends to go talk to Lena's dad. And if Lena's dad accepts it with my three friends, then my dad would go and talk to Lena's dad. And they would negotiate a price because if Lena leaves that family and comes to be married to me and enters my family, they lose an asset. They lose work. So they have to be compensated. Now, if they can negotiate a price, the two dads, then that night there's, there's a big party that's thrown to celebrate the fact that me and Lena are going to be married. Now, during the party, there will come a moment in the party when I'll stand up and I will say, I'm going back to my father's house to build a house for us. When I'm finished, I will come back and get you. And then I stand up and I take my cup and I put in, put in you know, there's, I guess there's wine in the cup. I take the cup and I drink from the cup and I say, are you willing to drink from my cup? And if she's willing to drink from my cup, she takes my cup and she drinks from it. And if she drinks from it, that means she has agreed to enter into a marriage relationship with me. Now then I go home and I start building a house as fast as I possibly can. Amen. <laughs> now she goes home and she has to put a lantern in the window. And she has to keep the lantern burning. As long as the lantern's burning in her window, that shows the community that she has entered into this agreement to stay pure and wait for me. So she's waiting for me to come back and take her. Now my groomsmen, my three friends, they're responsible for the purity of the bride. They make sure the bride stays pure until the marriage is complete. Now, if you've read the Bible and you're hearing all this, you're thinking, that, that sounds like a lot of the different scriptures. And what I want us to do today is I want us to actually look at these scriptures that show the wedding because I think the whole idea of God's dream for you is that you would understand how much he loves you and accept a relationship with him. And I think this marriage is obviously the strongest relationship God gave us on earth. And if we can understand how God wants to marry us, we can understand his will for our lives as well. Amen? So let's jump into that. Point number one. The groomsmen are the one that make the invitation. The first person to propose is not the groom, which would be Christ in our situation. It's not the father, which would be God. It's the friends that come and offer the marriage. Look at John 15. The groomsmen, the friends, are the ones that make the invitation for a marriage. John 15, verse 14 through 16. You are my friends 
if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Amen? This word for friends here is, is, is uh, very similar to the word groomsman. The idea here is that the groomsman is the one that would come and ask if they'd be interested in marrying the groom. Same thing with us. Christ did not invite you into a relationship with God personally. He didn't come down and talk to you personally. The Father from heaven did not come down and talk to you personally about getting married to God through Christ. The person that talked to you about entering into a marriage relationship with God was one of the groomsmen. It was one of his friends who wasn't just a servant but knew his master's will and asked if you'd be interested to marry somebody who's deeply in love with you, which is our God. Amen? You know, often the, the, the person's first impression of who the groom is is through the groomsman. People's first impression of God and Jesus often is from you. You're the one that goes in and presents who He is so that they might be interested into entering into that kind of a relationship. We're His friends. We're the ones that present Christ to other people. Amen, church? Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Sometimes the, the, the parent might have a question about who this groom is, and they'd ask the groomsman questions. Who is he? What's he like? What's his habits? What's important to him? What's, not imp- what's his priorities? And we know these things about our God. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. And it talks about this ministry being ours. That this responsibility of getting people into a relationship with God is ours. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 through 20. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Amen, church? The only chance this city has to enter into a marriage relationship with God is through His friends. It's through us. We're the ones that go and make the plea. We're the ones that go and make the case. They give people a chance to fall in love with who God really is. Amen? Imagine, imagine this situation with Lena again. If, if I had my three buddies that I sent in, and I said, okay guys, get in there and fight for Lena. I'm in love. Don't let me down. Go in there and talk to the dad. And if they look like they're wavering, convince her. Convince her. Don't back off. Brush your teeth. Comb your hair. Look good. Show them that I'm respectable. If they have any questions, you guys know everything about me. Tell them. And they're like, okay, we got it, Sean. Relax, relax. Stay here. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And then they go into the house. And I'm outside. Imagine how I'm feeling. I'm a little bit nervous. Like, okay, is this going to go? Okay, come on, guys. And I'm waiting. Okay, when are they going to come out? Oh, they're in there a long time. No, it's too short. Stay in there longer. Fight, you know. (laughs) And you can imagine how you'd be feeling. And then they come out. And you're looking at their face, trying to figure out how they did. And I said, so how'd it go? 
And then the first one says, well, you know, I don't really think she was open for marriage yet, so I didn't say anything. Okay, how about you? He says, well, you know, I was thinking, what should I say? What's the best way to say it? Maybe I'd say it the wrong way, so I just decided not to say anything. Okay, and you, how'd you do? Well, you know, I I was thinking, what if she rejects me? What if she rejected me and said, no, she's not interested? I'd be so, I'd be so discouraged. And I'm like, wait a minute. She's not rejecting you. You're not the one that wants to marry her. It's me. It has nothing to do with you. I just needed you to tell her. It's me she's rejecting. You know, when you think about that, I find myself all three of these people sometimes. It's so much about me. It's not about me at all. Jesus wants to enter into a marriage relationship with these people. I just got to invite them. I just got to convince them that it's the greatest relationship there is on this planet. Amen, church? You know, I remember, I remember when I was in, at the University of Kansas and I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God at all. I, I, I was totally against it. And I was, I was at a tennis tournament, uh, playing a tennis tournament that weekend, and, and a guy pulled me aside and said, hey, do you believe in God? And I said, no, God is for, like, losers who have nothing better to do with their life. Like, I got a job waiting for me on Wall Street. I'm a computer engineer. I don't need that. And he says, what do you believe in? I said, well, I believe in science evolution. I'm, I'm just too smart. And he said, you know, there's a story in the Bible where a guy prayed and the sun stopped for 24 hours. And I said, yeah, he's, so? Like, I don't, I don't believe that happened. And he pulled out a Scientific American journal and he showed me this article. And, and some people have said that this article doesn't exist. I don't know. I, I, I read it. And he said, there was an article there that said that there was a 24-hour hole in the space-time continuum. There, there's 24 hours missing. And that it dates back to this time where this character Joshua prayed and the sun stopped for 24 hours. And I thought, whoa. Maybe there is a God. And if there is a God, then there's a heaven and there's a hell. And if there's a heaven and there's a hell, then i got to be more sure than just I don't believe in God because I think I'm too smart. I'm not that dumb. So I went home and I was stirring and I came back the next day. It was Sunday. I came back the next day and I said, look, I said, I think I believe in God. (laughs) I said, what do I got to do? And this guy says, pray with me and tell Jesus you love him and you'll be saved. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, that's all you got to do is pray and say you love God, that you love God and you'll be saved. And I said, well, wait a minute. I, I was in a bar last night. I must have told five different girls that I love him. But this morning, I don't even know who those people are. I said, I could say anything right now. That doesn't mean it means anything to me. And I said, are you saying God would stop the sun to get my attention, but all he wants to hear from me is I love you? And he said, yeah, that's it. And I said, well, I I paused a minute. I said, I think, I said, thank you for helping me to believe in God, but I don't think you have it right. I said, I think there's more to it than that. So I went home and I decided to buy a Bible and I was going to figure it out. So I open up the Bible to Matthew and I start reading the first chapter. Someone's the father of someone who's the father of someone who's the father of somebody. 
And I thought, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. And I closed the Bible and I, I prayed. I said, God, if you're out there, help me find you. And that was Sunday night. Tuesday, it was minus 15 degrees, University of Kansas, walking from the engineering building to the cafeteria outside, I'm listening to my music. A guy stops me, asks me to take off my headset. I take it off, and he invites me to Bible talk. And that had never happened to me before. And I thought, I should go. <laughs> and I went. And over the next two months, studied the Bible and became a Christian. Amen? Amen? And God appoints us to go and bear fruit. Somebody offered me that opportunity. And I remember when I first moved to, uh, on the mission team to St. Petersburg, when you go on a mission team, I used to think everyone hangs out together and you help people and it's lots of fun. But actually, when you're on a mission team, everyone splits up. And everyone goes out and shares their faith and everyone tries to convert people. But I don't speak Russian. And most Russians don't speak English. I mean, if you're over there in the fellowship, maybe one out of a hundred people, if you're on the street, even less, sometimes feel like they even speak any English. So I wanted to help people study the Bible, but I couldn't even talk to anybody. I could hand him an invitation, but even if they were open, I couldn't talk to him. So I started to pray that God would give me an errand, someone that could speak to the people for me. And I was looking for this person that could want to become a Christian, become a Christian, speak English, then follow me around all day to help other people become Christians. <laughs> Not too much to ask, right? <laughs> After like six days of literally being on the street, 10 hours a day, just sharing my faith with hundreds of people, I didn't find anybody. And then I realized, you know what, I just need to ask more concretely. God definitely wants me to do this, so I just have to find this person. So I prayed, God, give me somebody who's about this tall, <laughs> with blondish hair, kind of stocky build, and let him be that person. And I remember that day, I actually wasn't even sharing my faith when I was walking up down the street. I was just looking for him. And I remember walking down the street, Nevsky Prospect, and I saw, I saw a guy that looked, you know, this is, this, this is good enough. Like, this, this could be it. So I stop him, and he turns around, and he has an English Bible in his hand. And I said, I want to invite you to the St. Petersburg Church of Christ. And he says, okay. And I said, that's a Bible. And he said, da. And I said, that's an English Bible. And he said, da. And I said, do you speak English? And he said, yes. I said, wow, that's great. I said, do you want to study the Bible? He said, sure. And I said, now? And he said, okay. And I said, okay. <laughs> and the two of us walked off to a park, started studying the Bible, and five days later, Sergey was baptized. Amen? And then me and Sergey started the South, the South Campus Group in St. Petersburg, and 120 people were baptized in the next six months. And when you look at this verse, God says, I've, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I'm the groom, I chose you, you're special to me. Now go and be my groomsmen, be my friends, and let other people know how much I love them as well. Amen, church? Amen. Point number two, what was paid for the bride? you guys need a hug? Let's give hugs, shall we? Just stand up quickly, give a hug to somebody next to you. I, I can't get to all of you, so use the person next to you. Okay, let's be seated.
It's not a fellowship break, it was a hug break. Okay, let's grab a seat. What was paid for the bride? Okay, remember in the illustration that when, when it's agreed to be a marriage, the two dads have to come and talk and make sure they can work out a price. See, before you're in God's family, you're in someone else's family. And to get you out of that family, something has to be paid. There's a price that has to be paid to get you from that family into this family. Could you imagine if I was in love with Lena and the dad said, this is what it costs and our family didn't have enough money? It'd be discouraging. We're, we're, according to the Bible, we're part of like Satan's family before we're in God's family. We're, we're under the influence of the world. Imagine wanting to be with God, but, but, but you find out that the cost is actually his son for you to make it into the family. That he's got to give up his own personal family to adopt you. Imagine how you feel if there was a hesitation. Or if maybe God's just not up to that. But the price to get you into God's family was his own son. And God paid that price without regret or grudge, with joy in his heart to adopt you into his family so that you could be his bride. That's how amazing you are to God. Amen, church? Look at Hebrews 10. It talks about this idea. Hebrews 10, verse 11. Day after day, Hebrews 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Imagine that feeling 2,000 years ago, that you have to bring a sacrifice for your sins. So I get up in the morning, you know, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was angry at my wife, so okay, give me the goat. Um, I don't think I encouraged Andrew today. Give me a couple loaves of bread. And you think, okay, did I cover everything? Should I take a sheep just in case? <laughs> and, and even if you sacrifice, you'd still go home thinking, okay, did I get it? Verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Can you imagine? Jesus has completely paid the bill. It says he sits down at the right hand of God. And in the Hebrew whole culture, if you're sitting down, it means your job's done. It's completely done. That's why Martha was so mad at Mary. It wasn't done, but she sat down. You're not supposed to sit down until it's done. <laughs> or the servant who came home and after work, he said, wouldn't you rather sit down because your job was done? No, but you stand up and you serve. Sitting down shows it's all done. Jesus is sitting. That means no more sacrifices necessary for our sin. It's completely paid. It's an amazing thought if you think about it. God can have nothing to do with sin. God cannot be connected to sin in any way. God is too holy. So for God to live in you, for the Holy Spirit to live in you, you have to be absolutely sinless. 
God can't live where there's sin. The temple has to be holy. So how do you put these two things together? That God lives in you, but we still sin. You can only put it together as if Jesus has completely cleansed you. So completely that He's sitting down and so completely that God could literally live in you. That's how pure He's made His bride. Amen, church. I mean, visiting the temple 2,000 some years ago to see the Holy of Holies where the Holy Spirit was living that only one priest once a year can go in there with a rope tied to his foot. That Holy Spirit now lives in us. Amen, church. Faithfully waiting for the groom. Point number three. You know the moment when he stands up and says, I'll go and make a place for you and I'll come back and get you. That language is actually in the Bible. Look at John 14. John 14, verse 1. Faithfully waiting for the groom. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So Jesus is talking to his uh, uh, disciples here, and it's obvious they're burdened. They're nervous, they're burdened, they're anxious. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is the strongest language Jesus could use to a human being to express his commitment. He sees the disciples are worried. Are we going to be okay? Jesus, is this going to work out? Is this all going to work out? This is the, this is the last supper. Is, are we going to be okay? What's going to happen if you leave? How, what's going to happen to us? And he he says, okay, how can I convince these guys I would never, ever leave them? Let me propose to them. And he uses proposal language and says, I'm going to build a place for you. I will come back and get you. I will never, ever, ever leave you. I will never, ever abandon you. I will always, always be there for you. Amen, church. Amen. You know, there's a great couple that lead the church in Chicago, A.T. and Marcy, uh, right now. And uh, there was, I stayed in their house one night as I was traveling. And there's a, a photo on their refrigerator. And it shows Marcy going through the finish line of a marathon with two girls on either side. And they're holding up their hands and they're very happily running through the finish, land, finish line. And I said, Marcy, wow, what is this? She said, that's the Chicago Marathon. I said, wow, you ran a marathon. That's incredible. Like, I couldn't even... You know, I could attend one probably, but. <laughs> and, and I said, you look so happy. Did you win or something? I mean, you're so fired up. And she said, well, no, actually, that picture doesn't tell the whole story. And I said, well, what's the whole story? She said, well, actually, I hit a wall like at mile, I don't know, 19. And she said, I literally stopped. I literally could not take another step. I was done. He says, and the two sisters that were running with me heard that I had 
hit my wall and that I was going to quit. And they, they, they were just a little bit ahead. They came back and got me, grabbed my arms, and drugged me. <laughs> the last couple miles. And only when I saw the finish line did I raise my hands and smile. <laughs> so the photo is that moment. But all the moments before that were not so good. And, you know, when she said that story, I thought, you know what, that, that reminds me of me. That reminds me of my Christian life. Sometimes I feel like I just hit a wall. And the wall is so real. And I think, I'm not sure I can take another step. And then, God bless them, some awesome brothers and my awesome wife or my, my son or, or somebody grabs my hand and says, let's keep going. You didn't get out here in this marathon race and go 19 miles to stop now. The finish line's out there. You can't see it yet, but it's out there. And this is way too important to quit. Amen, church? You cannot quit. It is not an option. It's just not an option. I know it's real. I know the wall's real, and I know sometimes you just want to stand there. But you can't quit. Amen, church? Last thing. Will you drink from the cup? In the wedding ceremony, there's a moment when, when the groom would stand up and drink from his own cup and says, Will you drink from my cup? And if you take the cup and drink from it, then you're committing yourself to a marriage relationship. And you know, I don't know about you, but that reminds me of what we do every week. And this actually changes the way I look at communion since I've I, I, I done this study. It's changed the way, because when you take that cup, just picture Jesus kneeling down on one knee, ready to propose to you. Say, would you, you want to be with me forever? Will you drink this cup? And just like in those days, it doesn't mean you're married immediately. He's got to go and get the place ready. He'll come back and get you. But will you take the cup? And you have to wait. You've got to put your lamp in the window. Keep it burning. Because he's coming back. Amen, church. Look at, look at Mark 14. Let's read the, those verses there. And then we'll close. Mark 14, verse 23. Mark 14, verse 23. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. See, it wasn't that they all just made a toast and everyone drank from their own cup. He took his cup, drank from it, and gave them all the cup to drink from. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Amen, church? When we take the cup, we're promising ourselves to our groom. We're promising to be his bride. And we're promising to be true and wait. Amen? I don't know about you, but I have a problem with memory. I have a memory problem. I forget things all the time. Now, if you got engaged last night, it's probably pretty fresh in your head today. You're probably pretty fired up. And if somebody tried to hit on you, you'd probably pretty easily say, get away, I'm engaged. I just got engaged yesterday, check me out. You know, you'd be fired up. And, and even if you got engaged a week ago, you'd still be walking around like this, you know. 
Okay, even a month or two. What if you were engaged for 20 years? I've been engaged 20 years. After you wait 20 years, you can be tempted to look around. But you're engaged. And you're waiting for the greatest groom ever. For the wedding celebration, you could not even imagine that lasts for eternity. Amen, church? And let's look at that wedding as we conclude. Revelation 19. Let's check out your wedding day, shall we? Let's look at some of your wedding photos, shall we? I want to see Race's wedding photos. Revelation 19. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad. I still hear pages flipping. I'll wait a second. Revelation 19. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was and give him glory. Forgiven her, for her to wear. Fine linen strands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Imagine that. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding. I got news for you. You're not the ones invited to the wedding. You're the bride. I don't know who these blessed ones are that invited the wedding. Maybe it's angels or other people. But, but you're not on the invitation list of the wedding. You're the bride. We're the bride, church. And you know, if you're on the invitation list, you could worry about whether you're still on there or not. You know, like, hey, could you check that list? Is, is Sean Wooten still on that wedding list? I mean, am I still on the visitor list? Am I there? No, no, you're, you're not on the list. You're the bride. There's no wedding without the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Amen? And the greatest blessing, Revelation 22, verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You know, there's nothing on earth that will compare to seeing his face. There's nothing. You will get to see his face. You will see God's face. You know, God had a really good friend in the Old Testament. His name was Moses. And they were such good friends, God just was overwhelmed with the friendship and said, ask me anything you want, I'll give it to you. And you can imagine Moses probably has a pretty good fantasy about what God can do because he just saw the Red Sea parted and he's seen all kinds of miracles. And he says, okay, whatever you want, just ask. What do you want? And Moses, like someone who really knew God well and knew the maximum blessing you could get from God, he gives up his answer and he says, you know what I want, God? I want to see your face. And God said, ah, <laughs> you guessed it. That is the greatest blessing a human can endure. But I'm sorry, I can't show you my face or you would die. Like right now. <laughs> like you'd just be dead. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, God gives us a new body because this body could not withstand looking at the face of God. 
You have to be refurbished or you have to be <laughs> rebuilt to withstand the face of God. But he says, okay, Moses, I'll give, you, I'll, give you, I'll give you a drop of this. Here's what we'll do. You turn into the cave, turn your back to me, I'll walk by, and after I've passed by, you can turn around and see my back. And it's actually not even his back. The, the actual wording is the land where he just passed over. So here Moses is. He turns into the cliff and he's waiting. God passes by. Then Moses turns around and looks at the land where God just was. And when Moses just looks at the land where God just was, he lights up, literally, like a light bulb. He has to put curtains over his head because he's freaking everybody out at church. <laughs> like, Moses, dude, what's up with that? He's like, okay, I'll put on my curtains again. You know, he's, he's scaring everybody because Moses just saw the ground that God just passed over. Could you imagine seeing his face? When you see the face of God, you'll feel like you've never lived before. You'll feel a love and a joy that you, you never even sensed before. There's nothing on this planet that would be worth giving up your chance to see God's face. Jesus says, even if you could have the whole world, give it up. Because there's nothing like seeing God's face. Amen, church? I hope this was helpful. It's awesome being Christ's bride. It's a blessing to be here. Thank you.